0: Hello, and welcome to the podcast devoted to helping you win the race Christ has marked out for you. At the end of his life, Paul looked back upon his life well-lived for Jesus and wrote, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed For his appearing. This podcast looks to the end of the race Jesus has marked out for us and the longing to hear from the lips of our Master Well done, you have greatly honored me with your life. This episode presents a powerful way to regularly strengthen our heart loyalty to our King. Thanks for joining us today for season three, episode number 35 of Mission Focused Men for Christ. My name is Gary Yeagle. Building the right habits week in and week out, year in and year out, can lead to an enormous payoff. That was a reality proven by the life of an IRS employee named Ann Schreiber. She had lived by herself in a tiny, rundown, rent controlled apartment in Manhattan. The paint on the walls was peeling. Rent was $400 a week. Born in 1894, Anne worked for the IRS as an auditor until she retired in 1943. She never made more than $3,150 per year. So imagine the surprise of Norman Lamb, the president of the Yeshiva University, to whom Anne left her estate when he discovered that it was worth over $22 million. Year in, year out, while working or retired, and carried out the habit of putting a little bit of her income into the stock market. Consistent habits can bring an enormous payoff. This three-week series is looking at five of the most strategic habits that we can build as followers of Jesus That will matter most on the day that Jesus whispers, well done. We saw last week that the first and most important of these habits is a way to implement the command of Proverbs 4.23, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. In studying God's creation design of six days to work and one day to stop and draw near to God to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord in corporate worship, we observe that this pattern of a weekly time set apart, a weekly date night in marriage, for example, might make a useful metaphor for how to build this habit of realigning our hearts to reset our affections on God as our first love. After all, regular times set apart by couples for romance and sex seem to be God's plan for realigning their heart passions towards each other. Similarly, weekly corporate worship is designed to realign our hearts to Christ as our first love, but as we saw, there is another part to the growth of intimacy in a love relationship, time alone face-to-face. We saw five parts of this, a protected time on your calendar, perhaps before church, Sunday afternoon, or evening. Number two, a time set apart to open up with the Lord about what is on our heart. Number three, time set apart to get to know who God is better by studying his perfections. Number four, weekly time to lavish him personally with praise and delight, because that's what lovers do. And number five, a time to deepen your gratefulness for who he is and his infinite love for you. The second habit, a practice followed by both Joshua and David, which led to enormous wisdom and prosperity, is meditating on God's word both day and night, and then being doers of the word and not hearers only. Today, habit three, regularly invest part of your treasure into the spread of Christ's kingdom. This is the habit of tithing. One of the characteristics of a fully devoted follower of Christ is that he is a faithful steward of the resources entrusted to him. Our time, our energy, our gifts, our wealth, our income, our income-making ability. We must struggle with how to sort out and invest our assets for the High King. So one of the questions that everyone must ask is, how much should my monthly check or EFT transfer to my church or kingdom ministry before? What is my responsibility financially? What does the Bible teach about tithing? In fact, does the Bible even teach tithing? I thought Christians aren't under the law, but under grace. So let's make five observations about the habit of tithing. Fact number one, God instituted this practice with Abraham hundreds of years before the law was given to Moses. The first time we see the word tithe in the Bible is in Genesis 14. Let me set the context. Abraham is living close to his nephew Lot, who lives near the city of Gomorrah. Lot and his family get caught in a battle among nomadic kings. The king of Sodom is captured by one of the other nomadic kings. Because Lot lives nearby, he is captured with all his goods, his flocks, and his family. Abraham hears about it and pursues the captors. Abraham comes upon them in the middle of the night, and through his stealth operation, he is able to rescue Lot and the others. When the nomadic kings who had conquered Sodom fled from Abraham's forces, they left a great deal of plunder behind. We then come to the text before us as this mysterious figure called Melchizedek shows up. So we read in Genesis 14, verses 17 through 20. After Abram returned from defeating Chedorlaomer <laughs> hope that's close, and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shava. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Here, Abraham, or Abram, recognizes two facts. Number one, Melchizedek was a priest of the true God, of God Most High. And second, it was God who allowed him to have this victory and recover this plunder that he has now taken. In that culture, it was common that when there was plunder after a battle, the victorious king would take 10% of the plunder to keep for himself and his family. The rest went to the other men who had fought with him. So perhaps it is in this cultural setting that the number 10% arises. Abraham takes 10% of the plunder and gives it to the priest of God as a gift to the true king who had enabled his victory. We believe that God here is establishing the practice of tithing. And here's why we think that. 2,000 years after this event, there is New Testament commentary on this historic event that is helpful for understanding its significance. We're told that Melchizedek is a type or a prefigure of Christ, our great high priest. That's explained in Hebrews chapters 5, 6, and 7. We're also told that Abraham is not just the father of the Jews, but the father of the Christian faith, Paul, explaining that Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. So the New Testament perspective, looking back, shows us a representative of all true Christians who would come later, that is Abraham, offering his tithe to the one who represents Christ who would come later, Melchizedek. These details are important because it is sometimes mistakenly thought that tithing began with the law of Moses, since it is required by Mosaic law. But in fact, the principle of tithing is established some 500 years before the law is even given to Moses, and it is established by two players in the drama who represent Christ and the church. Fact number one is that tithing originated with Abraham, the father of the Christian faith, not with Moses and the law. Fact number two, tithing is a response of gratefulness for God's blessing. Notice in this Genesis 14 text that it is gratefulness for this unexpected and dramatic victory of Abraham over these other kings that motivated Abraham's tithe. Abraham's action, therefore, is consistent with the New Testament teaching in 2 Corinthians 9-7, where God tells us that he wants us to be cheerful givers. Abraham's motivation for giving may not seem that important, but it is very important for understanding tithing. The reason is that when it comes to obedience to God, there are really two basic motivations, which you see throughout biblical history. One is legalism, obeying God because in some way we're trying to win His love, we're trying to earn His acceptance, we're trying to leverage our gift to get God to give us something else— Legalism's motive is in some way to try to elicit respect or acceptance from someone else. Such a way of life becomes a tyranny because we never know if we've kept enough of the law to know that our standing with God is okay. It's a terrible way to live. The other motivation is grace. It recognizes that we can never do enough to cancel our sinful acts that reveal the rebellion of our hearts toward the high king. We can't earn extra credit to make up for the sins we've committed. We can only gratefully receive the gift of Christ's robe of righteousness to wear in God's holy presence, his righteousness imputed to us. The reason we misunderstand the difference between legalistic Christians and grace-driven Christians is that people often mistakenly think that tithing is legalistic. But we see right in the text, which established tithing, that precisely the opposite is the case. Now, I suppose one could tithe legalistically. Certainly the Pharisees did. They tried to impress everybody with what they gave. But the biblical view of tithing from its inception is not legalistic. It arises from a grateful heart. It is the proper motivation of those who are under grace and not under law. Fact number three, tithing is giving God the first 10% of your income. Let's examine three parts of the statement. First, tithing is based upon your income, not your total assets. The reason is that it is God who gives our earning power to us. Deuteronomy eight seventeen through 18 says, You may say to yourself, My power and strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives the ability to produce wealth. Tithing is based upon gratefulness. It is linked to income because we recognize that it is God who has given us the ability to earn that income. Secondly, tithing means giving the first portion of our income, not giving from the leftovers. Notice this principle explained by God in Proverbs 3, verses 9 through 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with new wine. Tithing is an application of the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. So the firstness of the tithe is actually very important because it is a way of saying to God, you're first. I take the first portion of my income, whatever that income is, and it goes to you. What that means is that tithing is a regular and tangible expression of the principle that I am putting God first in my life. So tithing is first from our income and second from the first portion. Thirdly, tithing means 10%. Now, some people object to this because the New Testament teaching is much broader and not specific. But realize that if you're committed to giving a portion of your income to God first, you must have a percentage portion number. If it's the first monthly check you write, you'll have to know how much to write the check for. That's not legalism. It's necessary when we understand that God is to receive a portion of our income first. Fact number four, in Israel, God considered the failure to tithe to be stealing from him. These are the words of Malachi to God's chosen people. Would anyone rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the entire nation of you. We need to recognize that God's work on earth is hurt when Christians don't tithe. There is a price to be paid. We might be tempted to think that Malachi's words are irrelevant since they were spoken to Israel, that is, to those under the law. But Israel was the Old Testament church, saved by grace through faith, as Paul tells us repeatedly. And if anything, there is a greater emphasis in the New Testament on sacrificial giving. In fact, tithing is just the starting point. God wants us to enjoy the material blessings of the physical world that he has lavished upon us. It is His glorious creation, but we are always to seek first the kingdom of God, freely, joyfully, and cheerfully putting as many dollars toward kingdom work as we can. Fact number five, Christ expected His followers to tithe. Some people don't believe that the New Testament teaches tithing because it focuses on the heart. But that focus on the heart is because so much legalism was going on in Jesus' day, Religion had been reduced to legalism. This is Jesus' point in the woes he pronounced upon the Pharisees in Matthew 23. Listen carefully to these words. He says, "'Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness.'" That's verse 23. Jesus' focus is on the hardness of their heart. True godliness is generous justice, generous mercy, and good works that prove the genuineness of faith. But notice Jesus' next words as Matthew 23 continues. These, that is this tithing, you ought to have done without neglecting the others. They should have tithed. But that's just the first step toward the generosity of heart required by true righteousness and by the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's consider the enormous benefits to tithing for a moment. The first that Jesus is not hesitant to mention is treasure that will last into eternity. Jesus says to us in his great Sermon on the Mount, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust can destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. As one who is so often on the receiving end of many charitable gifts to further our ministry, I never tire of reminding the givers that they are true partners in our work. We will one day stand side by side in eternity, and they will have the great, great joy of looking back at all the lives they have blessed because of their gifts that have enabled our ministry. The second benefit to tithing is that our hearts turn toward Jesus and his kingdom work. Jesus did not stop with just telling us that giving to kingdom work is an eternal investment. He gave us another profound insight about investing our treasure. He went on to say, For wherever your treasure is, you may be certain that your heart will be there too. Wherever you invest your treasure, your heart follows. If you doubt this, take a close look at someone who's just plunked a whole lot of money into the stock market. I guarantee you he will add a Wall Street Journal app or something like that to his phone within 24 hours if he hasn't already done it. Or consider another example. A woman came into her pastor's office and said, I hate my husband so much, I not only want to get rid of him, I want to get even. Before I divorce him, I want to hurt him as much as he has hurt me. This wise old pastor said, Okay. Go home and act as if you really loved your husband. Tell him how much he means to you. Praise him often. Go out of your way to be as kind, considerate, and generous as possible. Spare no effort to please him, to enjoy him also. Make him totally believe that you're all there for him and that you love him. And then after you've convinced him of your undying love, Drop the bomb. I'm divorcing you. That'll really hurt him. With revenge in her eyes, she smiled and exclaimed, beautiful, beautiful. Well, two months later, the pastor happened to see her and asked if she were ready to divorce him. Divorce? She explained, never. I've discovered that I really love him. Well, what happened? She invested her treasure, her time and energy and emotions to consistently behave as if she really loved him. And suddenly she did, because her heart followed the investment of her treasure. Wherever you place your treasure, your heart automatically follows. That's why the regular habit of taking that first 10% of our income and giving it to God is such a vital thing to do when it comes to our hearts. Tithing regularly gives our treasure to Jesus for his kingdom use. And the result is that our hearts grow to love Him and His kingdom work even more. And as we saw last week, where our heart affections are directed will determine the outcome of our lives. Third, tithing enlarges our capacity to trust God. It puts the growth of our faith on steroids. I bet if I could ask just the listeners to this podcast alone— How have you learned to trust God? What has built up your faith the most? We would have to spend a month listening to their answers, I bet. Ninety percent would say something like, Let me tell you, it all started when I discovered from the Bible that I should tithe. I looked at my income and I said, I can't possibly tithe. I can't deduct 10% from my income and have any hope of paying all my bills. But I was challenged to do it anyway. And do you know what I found out? The bills got paid. I'm still scratching my head trying to figure out how. Tithing Christians have story after story after story of God's financial provision for them. And those real-life experiences put our trust in the Lord on steroids. I think of a few similar stories from my own life. One, when I was just learning about tithing, and the other when I was trying to support my family of six on one income, that of a church planter. First, when I was a sophomore at Penn State, I came upon Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and then test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I thought, well, I don't know of any other place that God tells us to test him. I guess if I tithe, God is saying he'll take care of me more and more. Then I forgot about this specific verse, but did start to put 10% of my meager income into the offering plate. Fast forward to the end of the school year. It's my birthday. Mom usually bought me a shirt or two, so I wasn't surprised by the first two boxes. Then I got a third shirt and a fourth and a fifth, and a sixth, and a seventh, what in the world was going on? Was there some shirt sale or what? I then walked over to my closet, and I didn't have enough hangers to hang all the seven shirts on. And immediately the Lord brought to my mind those words, I will pour out so much blessing upon you that there will not be room enough to receive it. But that's just one story. Forward ten years to my wife sitting in my twin daughter's bedroom, boxes piled everywhere around her, I'm supporting our family of six on my small church planting salary in Montgomery County, Maryland, and I'm tithing. Why wouldn't I? My wife is looking through the piles of nearly brand new hand-me-down outfits for my twin daughters. I mean, these were nice, Polly Flinder, Oshkosh Bagosh, and so on. Sandy ended up with so many outfits, she could go 21 days with a different outfit for each one of the girls. That's 42 outfits. In fact, she had so many outfits that we did not have a place to store them in the girl's bedroom. So she gave a bunch of them away. I will pour out so much blessing upon you that there will not be enough room to receive it. To summarize this episode, if we stop and think about it, what matters the most to Christian men is that on the day that we stand before Jesus his assessment will be that our life has brought him great honor that fruitfulness will be determined by the habits we build into our lives one of the most strategic is tithing not just because investing in Christ's kingdom is an investment in something that will never fade away but because we may be certain that where our treasure is our hearts will be there too we observed that the principle of tithing was not just a part of the law of Moses, but given 500 years earlier to Abraham, the father of our faith, and followed by Abraham because of his gratefulness for the victory God had provided over Abraham's enemy, resulting in great plunder. Tithing is the first 10%, an expression of both the first and greatest commandment, that God is first in our lives, in our loves, and in our affections. We also observe not only that tithing steers our hearts toward Christ and his kingdom, but that it also is a process through which many Christians cut their teeth in learning that they can trust God. For further prayerful thought, number one, what would you say to a Christian who says tithing is legalistic? See your show notes for additional questions. Next week, as we are all beginning our fall schedule, I keep talking about that, but we're beginning at different times, we complete our series on five habits that shape godly men with two habits that are strikingly apparent in Jesus' life, but which few of us have thought very much about. For further information about our ministry, go to forgingbonds.org. And if this podcast has been helpful to you, Don't forget to tell other Christian men about a podcast that helps them stay focused on their mission from Christ by inspiring them each week while they commute or work out.